Hello, this is Jean welcoming you to the 2366th edition of Enfield Talking Newspaper, dateline 16th of November 2023. The readers this week are Sarah, Mary, myself, Jean, and Karis on the controls ably supported by Haz. Editing and production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Ferdinand Brouillon, Harry Brewer. It is performed by Jean-Jacques Perret and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent, the Enfield Dispatch, and the Home Library Service, and are their copyright. For the week beginning the 20th of November, the sunrise time is 0726, and the sunset time is 1604. We also have some special notices from the Home Library Service and Enfield Vision. From the Enfield Home Library Services, did you know that Enfield has a home library service? This means that if mobility, disability, or caring responsibilities make it difficult for you to visit the library, then we can bring the library to you, and there is no charge. The home library is run in conjunction with the Royal Voluntary Service, who vet and manage our volunteers. You tell us the sort of thing you like to read, and we will select books for you and deliver them to you to your home once every four weeks. As well as ordinary print titles, we have audiobooks on CDs and large print titles. There is also a limited number available in different languages. Separately, the Home Library Service offers assistance with digital library content, so we can help you get to grips with borrowing e-books or audiobooks from the library to read or listen to on a phone or tablet. For more information or to see if you can sign up for this service, email enfield.hls at royalvoluntaryservices.org.uk or call Shauna Tivan or Tivan, I'm sorry, on 07826-511-4000. And the notice from Enfield Vision is we are a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charities Commission as an organization with a specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Park Avenue Resource Center, Bushill Park, Enfield. So the classes for the next few months are yet to be determined with Christmas interfering. So for further information, please contact um, Enfield Vision on telephone 020-8373. 6260 or email information at enfieldvision.org.uk. Okay, then from the Enfield Dispatch online, we have Enfield Charities 
competes in disability games organized by Rotary Clubs. Curling, table tennis, among the sports that saw disabled adults compete for medals. Disabled adults from Enfield were among those competing in an event inspired by the London 2012 Paralympic Games. The 10th annual Rotary North London Disability Games, which was originally inspired by the success of the Paralympics in the capital, brought together disabled adults from across the region to compete for medals in table tenants, bokia bowls, I don't know what that is, and new age curling. Enfield Chase Rotary and Edmonton Rotary helped organize the event, which took place in Stanmore and ensured a team from local disability charity one-to-one Enfield could take part. They competed against teams from Harrow, Edgware, Boreham Wood, and Aylesbury, with 50 people taking part in total. Organizer Scott McLaughlin of Barnet Rotary held the event a great success and thanked all the Rotary Clubs for their hard work on the day. As well as Enfield Chase, Edmonton, and Barnet, clubs from Edgware and Stanmore, Elstree and Boreham Wood, Golders Green, Kingsbury and Kenton, Northwick Park, Radlett, and Southgate were all involved. Andy from One to One Enfield said, A massive thank you to all of you for helping us with the Rotary Games. You were all fantastic. We had such a good time. And yes, our members can't wait until next year to participate again. And again from the Enfield Dispatch Online. Council leader begs government to raise housing benefit as homelessness crisis continues. Nessel Kaliskan writes to Minister calling for help to reduce Enfield's increasing use of expensive and unsuitable emergency accommodation, reports James Cracknell. The leader of Enfield Council has appealed directly to government for help tackling the borough's ongoing homelessness crisis that has seen hundreds of families holed up in hotels for months on end. Nessel Kaliskan wrote a letter to Lee Rowley last week before he was reappointed housing minister on Monday the 13th after moving from his role as local government minister within the same department. She urged him to increase the local housing allowance, which sets benefit rates and has remained frozen for three and a half years, despite soaring rental costs. Councillor Kaliskan warned that local authorities such as Enfield were struggling to cope with the number of families now presenting to them as homeless, with the borough now having the highest number of Section 21 no-fault evictions in London. A 41% drop in properties available for rent in Enfield since 2020 means many evicted families have nowhere else to go, she pointed out. Councillor Kaliskan blamed the collapse of the private rented sector since the government's mini-budget under Liz Truss in 2022 for the borough's problems and added in her letter to the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities... Consequently, the number of homeless households approaching the Council for Help is unprecedented, and we currently have 290 families in costly emergency hotel accommodation. This is just one symptom of the growing housing crisis facing this country, where the only long-term solution is to increase housing supply. 
In the short term, councils need help tackling the immediate emergency facing our residents and budgets. As well as raising local housing allowance to match the increase in rents seen since 2020, Councillor Kaliskan also wants the government to provide top-up funding via its homelessness prevention grants, as well as additional discretionary housing payments to cover accommodation costs and prevent families from becoming homeless by stopping a build-up of rent arrears. Enfield Council is currently spending hundreds of thousands of pounds per month on housing families in hotels such as Enfield Travel Lodge. But Councillor Kaliskan says that raising the local housing allowance instead would be a better use of the public purse than the current system, which has a high reliance on expensive and unsuitable emergency accommodation. Enfield has historically been heavily dependent on the private rental sector for housing families in temporary accommodation because of the borough's relative lack of social housing compared with other boroughs, while the council has also repeatedly failed to meet its house-building targets. As well as a homelessness crisis, the exponential rise in housing costs at Enfield Civic Centre has created a financial crisis, with the Labour Administration currently scrambling to plug a £39 million budget hole for 2024-25. The Council is now waiting to hear how much it will receive in its annual grant from the Government, with the upcoming autumn statement from Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, on the 22nd of November, seen as crucial for next year's budget setting. The Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities did not respond to a request for comment. An Enfield railway station is set to become a lot more colourful after a group of volunteers was awarded nearly £14,000 to create a piece of platform art inspired by the local area. Enfield Chase Station Volunteers, ECSV, part of the Enfield Society, was awarded a Department for Transport grant following an application to Govia Thameslink Railway, GTR, which owns the Great Northern Franchise op operating trains along the Hartford Loop Line in the west of the borough. The Your Station, Your Community Fund invited local groups and charities to submit ideas for projects that help connect their local railway station to the community it serves. ECSV submitted a proposal for an artist-led project which will create a unique, unique and memorable welcome to both the station and to the Enfield town area, celebrating and promoting the history and heritage of Enfield and Enfield Chase Station. GTR awarded them £13,769 to deliver the project and Art Group Hive, Cura Hive Curates has now been commissioned to select a local artist to install a large community-developed mural on the northbound platform, which will be seen by everyone who arrives at the station after travelling in from London. John Cole, a trustee at the Enfield Society who led the funding bid, said, It will be inspired by Enfield as a market town and town centre. The idea is that people passing through on a train or alighting at Enfield Chase will have a taster of the street scene nearby. He added, I am so pleased to see another community artwork coming together on the Hartford Loop. We seem to be starting a railway art trail from Palmer's Green to Gordon Hill. In total, 
GTR awarded grants totaling £375,000 to 19 charities, which are launching community projects in areas served by the train operator. The charities were chosen from over 370 organisations who answered GTR's invitation to bid for support, with funding of between £1,000 and £50,000 offered to each successful applicant. GTR's Chief Executive Officer, Angie Dole, said, I'm delighted to congratulate the 19 successful organisations, many of whom are new partners for us. We're excited to be working with them all to generate the social and environmental benefits their projects are designed to deliver. We'd also like to thank everyone who applied. The magnificent response and extremely high quality of the bids shows the incredible energy, creativity and commitment our local communities possess. This article comes from the Enfield Independent, entitled London Renters Face Homelessness, Plea for Increase in Housing Allowance. This is by Noah Vickers. Almost 60,000 London renters could be pushed into homelessness by 2030 if the government does not increase housing support, according to a new analysis. The warning comes after figures last week showed rough sleeping in the capital at its highest since records began, with more than 4,000 people recorded on the streets by outreach teams in three months. London Council's across-party group, which advocates for the capital's borough authorities, warned that one in seven city renters are currently reliant, reliant on local housing allowance to meet their housing costs. The organization has commissioned independent research from Alma Economics, which estimates an additional 16,500 to 22,000 London households will become homeless by 2030 unless the LHA is raised. London Councils calculates that 22,000 households equates to 58,740 people, including 28,000 children. LHA is paid out to people on low incomes, whether in the form of housing benefit or as the housing element of universal credit. But rates have been frozen since 2020, with the value based on the 30th percentile of rents in September 2019. The payments are not intended to cover all rents in all areas, but rather provide help towards covering some housing costs. As housing costs have sharply risen over recent years, however, the frozen level of support has become increasingly inadequate. Darren Rodwell, London Council's executive member for housing, said rising LHA is vital for getting a grip on the homelessness crisis. London's homelessness pressures are already enormous and unsustainable. The situation is increasingly unmanageable and requires urgent government action. We cannot continue in this disastrous direction. Mr. Rodwell, who is also leader of Barking and Dagenham Council, added, just as the government boosted the uh, London Local Housing Allowance, LHA, during the COVID-19 pandemic to prevent a wave of mass homelessness, we need a similar emergency response to the situation today. 
a spokesman for the government did not directly respond to London Council's request for LHA rates to be unfrozen, but did say, we're helping to ease the pressures of rising rents, investing over $30 billion on housing support this year on top of a record financial su- support worth around £3,300 per household. Young medalists celebrated. Youth Games winners are stars of the show at a glittering awards ceremony. The outstanding achievements of Enfield's young athletes were celebrated in a glittering ceremony following the borough's best performance in years at the London Youth Games. The event at Dugdale Arts Centre was attended by Mayor of Enfield, Suna Herman, Enfield Council's Cabinet Member for Culture, Open Spaces and Local Economy, Council Chinelo Anyanwu, and Commonwealth Champion Tony Jarrett, who was born in the borough. The awards ceremony, hosted by the Council's active Enfield team, was an opportunity to celebrate and thank young athletes who came away with 20 gold medals, 9 silver and 30 bronze in the 2022-23 Youth Games. It is hoped that more young people will come forward for this season of sport, having been inspired by last year's medal winners. Councillor Anyanwu said, It was a real privilege to meet the young people who competed at the London Youth Games and to listen to their remarkable stories of achievement. Enfield is investing in sport, making opportunities more accessible to people from all backgrounds and all abilities. We have parks, tennis courts being refurbished across the borough, a fantastic football programme in Edmonton, a new provider for our leisure centres by the end of the year, and a fantastic programme of activities administered by Active Enfield. Congratulations to our athletes, and I look forward to another exciting year of competitive sport. Councillor Anyanwu shared the stage with former hurdler Jarrett, who won gold at the Commonwealth Games in 1990 and 1998, as well as other accolades. His speech inspired the crowd as he shared his personal journey emphasising the importance of hard work and determination. In addition, 17-year-old Enfield resident Amali Wilkinson made a speech about his commitment to basketball and appointment as the captain of the Enfield London Youth Games basketball team. He spoke of his historic achievement of securing the first UK Championship gold medal with his team in 2023. The London Youth Games uses the power of competitive sport to create life-changing opportunities for all young Londoners. To get involved in the 2023-24 season, email sport at enfield.gov.uk for more information. Here is a letter from Jenny Hurst of the Independent Diabetes Trust with some timely advice, which might be useful. She says... Christmas is approaching and it is time for preparations and thinking about extra food. As a charity for people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes, we know that it can be difficult a difficult time for people with diabetes, especially if it is their first Christmas living with this condition. It can be a time of temptation, unpredictable or delayed meals, extra nibbles, excitement and stress, all of which can make managing their diabetes more difficult. 
We have just published our free December newsletter and we also have a free booklet, Diabetes at Christmas, to help families who live with condition. This booklet gives various options for Christmas dinners, a recipe for homemade, lower carbohydrate and calorie Christmas pudding and many other tips. We also have two booklets which may be useful, Diet and Diabetes and Diabetes Everyday Eating. We hope the newsletter and these booklets will help to make life easier over the festive season. All our booklets are free and we are happy to send these out to any of your readers if they could contact IDTT on 01604-622-837. That's 01604-622-837 or email inquiries at idtinternational.org That's inquiries at idtinternational.org um, Another article about housing targets set to rise. This is from the Enfield Independent. Council's new local plan could allow 9,000 homes on Greenbelt land. This is by Simon Allen. Enfield Council's housing target is in its local plan is set to be inflated from 25,000 to 35,000 which suggest with suggestions at least 9,000 will now be allocated on the green belt the new local plan is being revised before a fresh round of consultation starts next month it includes proposals to release around 13% of the borough's green belt land for development including large sites at Cruise Hill and Vicarage Farm in World's End. The Greenbelt covers around a third of Enfield Borough, borough and protects previously undeveloped land from being built upon. Under policies set out by the London Plan, which was approved in 2021, de-designating the Greenbelt is only justified in exceptional circumstances. When questioned on the issue at a meeting on Wednesday, Brett Leahy, the council's director of planning and growth, said the local plan involved balancing various elements, including housing need, employment, and economic growth. He added, we know that our current local plan is out of date and not fit for purpose because it fails the four statutory housing tests. The consequence of that is that the London plan, finalized in 2021, is also out of date and not fit for purpose because it fails the four statutory housing tests as set by the government. Brett, who was speaking during a meeting of the Council's Regeneration and Economic Development Scrutiny Panel, insisted that urban sites alone could not deliver the number of homes affordable units, and family-sized houses needed by the borough's residents. Council leader Nessel Jaliskan said that while the London plan was really critical, the authority also had to work within the framework of national requirements. She added that ultimately a national planning inspector would determine whether our local draft plan is adequate or not. Under further questioning from panel members, Brett revealed new plans for Cruise Hill involving the building of 5,500 homes 
on a 270 hectare, I'm sorry, 270 hectare site. He added that 50% of the site would be developed, with the rest being made up of open space. Vicarage Farm, dubbed Chase Park in the local draft plan, is set to deliver 3,765 homes over 167 hectares, he added, although landowner Cromer Homes has suggested building 5,000 there. This will mean more than 9,000 being allocated to the Greenbelt by the local plan in total up from 6,430 in the previous version of the draft from two years ago. And may I just add that this article is accompanied by a beautiful pastoral photograph of lovely green rolling hills with baby lambs gambling. Charming. Why Ziggy's Gets It Right. Top you call... Sorry, top UK soul jazz singer Misha Paris remarked that Ziggy's gets it right after appearing on a Ziggy's World Jazz Club stage at an Enfield Festival event a few years ago. Our mission was to create the high-end feel of legendary Soho jazz venue Ronnie Scott's Club without the West End price tag. We're happy to say that this vision for an atmospheric, intimate club space currently morphs into our monthly Ziggy's World Jazz Club live shows at the King's Head in the green Winchmore Hill. Live music is the ultimate life-enhancing experience for us, and we have always been keen to give Enfield audiences a genuine opportunity to experience national and international world-class jazz artists up close and personal. Ziggy's, created by myself, Steve Taylor, and partner Josie Freighter since 2012, has presented more than 150 scintillating high-quality live jazz concerts featuring a who's who of jazz and related music. These performers have included the aforementioned Misha Paris, plus Omar, Ian Shaw, the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, and my own Steve Taylor Big Band, to name a few. Ziggy's has presented live music across most of Enfield's art spaces, including the Dugdale Theatre, Millfield Theatre, Chicken Shed Theatre, and now upstairs at the King's Head. Ziggy's has even been broadcast on Jazz FM, BBC Two, no, BBC Radio Two and Three, and has been a regular contributor to the London Jazz Festival. Every Ziggy's show aims to be an event to remember. We're delighted to be bringing live jazz and world music to appreciative Enfield audiences while nurturing new upcoming talent. I can announce we will be launching a new 40 Hall Jazz Club after being approached by 40 Hall Estate, suggesting a collaboration. We presented a sold-out pilot show featuring stalwart saxophonists of the UK jazz scene, Hannah Horton and Tony Coffey, in September. And we're now thrilled to be announcing that Ziggy's will be partnering regularly with Forty Hall. The first Forty Hall Jazz Club takes place in the Long Gallery of Forty Hall on Friday, 16th of February, 2024. For more information and to book tickets for Ziggy's, visit ziggysclub.com. 
Enfield is one of five London boroughs that will receive funding from City Hall to train adults working with young people to better support those who have fallen victim to crime. The Trusted Youth Allies pilot scheme will give young people in Croydon, Enfield, Newham, Lambeth and Southwark the chance to speak to a trusted adult, such as a teacher, youth worker or faith leader, if they have become a victim of crime. It will provide resources and training to ensure trusted adults working with young people can have honest and open conversation with young victims of crime, help them to get the support they need and increase their confidence to report crime. The programme is being supported with £160,000 of new funding from London Mayor Sadiq Khan and is being developed and delivered by Groundwork London. It will bring together professionals from a wide range of backgrounds and sectors and include school teachers, youth workers, social workers, youth justice services, community figures, faith groups, parents and carers. Mayor of London Sadiq Khan said, I'm determined to do everything I can to keep young people safe. This new pilot in key London boroughs seeks to give young people the chance to speak to a trusted adult when they or someone they know becomes or is at risk of becoming a victim of crime. It builds on the pioneering work of my violence reduction unit, which recognises the vital difference a trusted adult relationship can make in a young person's life. And is part of my approach to tackling the complex causes of crime to build a safer London for everyone. Obadiah Emeru, Programme Manager at Groundwork London, said... We are passionate about this journey with the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime, building upon Groundwork London's proven track record of making a positive impact working with young adults in areas such as achievement coaching, mental health and well-being. In recognising that a significant number of young victims of crime remain silent, our mission at the Trusted Youth Allies is clear to empower trusted adults with essential skills like active listening and emotional support so that every young person who needs help has someone to talk to. Together we can listen, support and empower to ensure that no young person faces the challenges of crime alone. Samantha Boyce, head of London's Children and Young People's Victim and Witness Services, said... As the main support service available for young victims in London, we are very pleased to be working alongside Groundwork London to help improve the service's accessibility. We are keen to encourage access directly or through referrals or signposting to our children's and young people's victim and witness service that might result from the improved support trusted youth allies can give to young victims. Alexa Lucas... London Regional Manager for Crime Stoppers said, Crime Stoppers is working with MOPAC and partners to keep, help keep Londoners safe. This is another one from the Enfield Independent. LTN fines cancelled for disabled driver. Woman was on way to physio appointment. Two fines issued to a disabled Enfield woman who drove to a medical appointment in a low-traffic neighborhood, LTN, have been canceled by Caringay Council. Laura Yu, who lives in Oakwood, said she was left feeling stressed and mentally drained after receiving the fines for inadvertently contravening LTN rules while traveling to and from a physiotherapy 
therapy appointment at the Bounds Green Health Center in Gordon Road. Lar, who has an artificial leg and suffers from back pain, had waited for more than a year for the appointment, which was finally scheduled for August. Unaware of the LTN and failing to spot the signs in the rain, she received two penalty charge notices, PCNs, each telling her to pay 130 pounds. Laura says she felt very drained mentally and very sad after receiving the fines, adding, I'm trying to be independent and do things to help myself, and this happens. So when you are vulnerable, it is such a big effort. She added, they should not put this type of thing where people are going to get treatment. I was able to appeal, but there are people who can't. The Bounds Green LTN, touted by Herringay Council as improving road quality, safety, and boosting air quality, was introduced in August last year. It is one of three LTNs to be rolled out in the borough. Lar said LTN signs should be made clearer so it's obvious which routes people cannot take. The council introduced exemptions for blue badge holders on, a, on day one of the schemes going live, enabling permit holders living inside or on the immediate boundary of an LTN to apply to travel through most of the camera-enforced filters. It also introduced exemptions on day one for other categories, including individual circumstance category. Mike Hakaka, the council's deputy leader and cabinet member for climate action, environment, and transport, said, each low-traffic neighborhood filter is clearly signposted, and compliance is high and improving. When a penalty charge notice is issued, there is a consistent appeals process in place. We always assess whether there are extenuating circumstances that warrant the cancellation of the PCN, and these cases are no different. Having carefully considered the limiting, mitigating factors, we will be writing to LARU to cancel the fines. We appreciate driving is a necessity for some. And now a letter from The Independent from Ron Hall, who is an RNIB ambassador, headed The Magic of Christmas. It's nearly that time of year again, when Santa Claus and his elves at the North Pole are busy getting ready to spread festive joy to all children. As always, Santa is expecting to receive millions of letters from children around the world, with endless lists of what they'd like to receive in their stockings when the big day arrives. To ensure children living with a vision impairment in the UK get a reply from jolly old St Nicholas, he's once again teamed up with the Royal National Institute of Blind People to make his letters available in accessible formats, including audio and large print. Last year, the elves sent more than 2,700 letters from Santa to children with a vision impairment across the UK, helping them experience the same magic of Christmas as sighted children. If you know a child who has a vision impairment who would love to receive a letter from Santa in Braille, large print or audio, please send their Christmas letter to Santa Claus, RNIB, Northminster House, Northminster, 
Peterborough, P-E-1-1-Y-N. Letters can be requested through the RNIB's website at rnib.org.uk forward slash Santa. Postal letters and website requests need to be sent by Friday, December the 1st. Santa can also receive letters through his email address, and that is santa at rnib.org.uk by Tuesday, December the 19th, for an email response with a large print attachment. On behalf of Santa, his elves, and all at RNIB, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Two teenagers are in custody and one is in hospital with stab injuries after a knife fight. Video footage shared on social media site X shows violence flaring next to the McDonald's restaurant in Bullsmore Lane, Enfield, shortly before 4pm on Friday, November the 10th. The video appears to show a group of around 10 to 15 people, mostly dressed in black and with face coverings, standing next, standing at the entrance to Littlegate Footbath when two start to fight with long knives or machetes. Peace, police arrested four teenagers on suspicion of possession of an offensive weapon and of causing grievous bodily, bodily harm. One had sustained a stab injury and was taken to hospital for treatment, Scotland Yard said. Two teenagers have been charged and remanded in custody. The other two arrested were released on police bail. Police say inquiries are ongoing. And on a happier note, there's a charming article about how to help your garden wildlife survive the cold winter months ahead. As we approach the winter season and the temperatures drop, it is important to provide support for birds and insects that reside in your garden. Autumn and winter can be challenging for outdoor wildlife due to the colder weather, limited food availability, and changes in sheltering habits. British Garden Centres has some great tips so you can safeguard the most vulnerable wildlife and create a haven for them to hibernate during the cold months. For example, garden birds. Winter is undoubtedly a challenging season for garden birds, and it is crucial to provide them with food and water during the cold spell. Birds require additional nourishment and hydration in cold weather, so it is important to supplement their diet. Opt for energy-rich bird food containing suet, nuts, and oil-rich seeds like sunflower hearts for your bird feeder or table. British Garden Centers offers a wide variety of feeders, bird tables, ground feeders, feeders suitable for all garden birds. Fill your bird feeders with different types of food to attract a variety of avian visitors. An all-year-round complete mix that combines high-energy seed, blends nuts and essential nutrients is a convenient and effective choice. Suet feeds, such as suet cakes and energy balls, are also excellent for winter feeding and, be, and can be found in stores or made at home. Water is essential for garden birds during this period. Freezing temperatures often render many water sources inaccessible. Regularly check and replenish the water in your board baths and bowls daily, ensuring that our feathered friends have both drinking and bathing opportunities. 
to provide warmth and shelter, hang nesting boxes on trees or fence posts. Bird houses are ideal for small garden birds like tits, robins, nuthatches, sparrows, and wrens. For insects, did you know that there are mil- approximately 10 million insect species worldwide, all in need of a habitat? Having a bee and insect house in your garden is an excellent way to care for wildlife during winter. Insect and bee hotels specifically ex- assist solitary bees by providing essential shelter in our gardens. By attracting beneficial insects to our outdoor spaces, they will help pollinate our flowers and control breath- pests during spring and summer. Insect houses are available in variety sizes, contain bamboo tunnels, pine cones, and wood shavings. They provide a home for bugs and shelter for bees and are suitable for beetles, ladybirds, lacewings, spiders, and butterflies. Insect houses also offer protection and refuge during winter while enhancing the aesthetic appeal of your garden. Place your hotels in a quiet, weather-protected corner of your garden. Look for a spot that offers both shade and sunlight, as insects prefer a sense of safety and coziness while bees thrive in sunny areas. Ideally, choose a west- or south-facing location. To attract butterfly, bees, and other pollinating insects, plant nectar-rich flowers near the bug hotel. Honeysuckle, verbena, roses, clematis, foxglove, hollyhocks, geraniums, lavender, and edible herbs are excellent choices for attracting pollinators to your garden. And let's not forget the hedgehogs. During this time of year, hedgehogs require assistance in finding shelter and protection as they hibernate for winter. Hedgehogs are particularly fond of cat food. So leaving some cat biscuits on a saucer for them to enjoy is recommended. Additionally, provide a shallow dish of water to ensure visiting hedgehogs stay hydrated. For nesting hedgehogs, it is advisable to leave a wild area in the garden where they can rest. Allowing falling leaves, long grass, and other garden debris to accumulate creates a protected space for hedgehogs to spend their daylight hours. Amy Stubbs, Project and Development Manager at British Garden Centers, said, By following these simple steps, you can transform your garden into a winter wonderland that extracts a diverse array of wildlife. Your local British Garden Center store should have all the advice and products that will enable you to experience the pleasure of observing the beauty of nature right on your doorstep while providing valuable support for animals during the challenging winter season. Enfield Town Boss Hale's latest performance, McPherson really pleased with Win. Enfield Town Boss Gavin McPherson hailed his side following their 3-0 win over Ishmian League Premier Division rivals Canvey Island. Town moved up to second in the table behind unbeaten leaders Hornchurch after their summit meeting a week earlier, thanks to a brace from Sam Young's and Reese Beckles Richards' effort. And McPherson was pleased to record a third win in four outings, telling the club website, really pleased with the performance, when we get it right as a team, we're a difficult proposition.
I want to make this place difficult for any visiting team. The supporters are pivotal. Fan-owned clubs invest in it more than most, and I always walk away with a quiet satisfaction seeing them happy. Young followed up his own half-cleared header to put Town ahead inside 60 seconds, but it took a superb block by Josh Okocha to deny Bradley Such after Canvey had penalty claims turned down. Gull's captain, Connor Hubble, put a diving header just wide of Reese Forster's goal, while James Richmond went close with a downward header at the other end. Joe Payne fired inches wide for the hosts before they doubled their lead on 33 minutes, as Young pounced for his 13th goal in all competitions. Satch had an effort ruled out for offside before the break, and Forster produced a smart save after the restart. Town went 3-0 up on 49 minutes, though, as Ollie Knight found Marcus Wiley's run on the left and his inch-perfect cross was converted by Beckles Richards. And McPherson's men might have added more to their tally with Beckles Richards just wide from Payne's long throw-in. Town have taken 10 points from a possible 15 since their 4-0 loss at Lewis as they continue to defy the odds against bigger spending rivals. Budgets have never been part of my mindset, added McPherson. I'm not fazed by how much money other teams might have. It's still early-ish in the season and Lewis was part of my learning curve at this club. You never stop learning, and it taught me that we were better in the front foot than we are lower in the pitch. After a midweek meeting with Breitling Sea Regents in the Velocity Cup, Town are also set to host Hastings United on Saturday and welcome their Sussex rivals Whitehawk in a fourth straight-home fixture on Tuesday, November 21st. Enfield are due to host Boas and Pitsy in Ishmian North on Sunday, looking to end a five-game losing run. They lost 2-0 at home to Brentwood Town last weekend, with Matt Cripps and Mekki McKenzie netting either side of the break for the visitors. Well, it's nearly time for us to go, but before we do, I thought you might have something to put in your 2024 diary, if you've got one yet, if that is. Um, and it's a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan, believe it or not. Long before the Pirates of the Caribbean, Gilbert and Sullivan's popular comic operetta, The Pirates of Penzance, had been entertaining audiences since its first performance in 1879. It's full of well-known songs such as I Am the Very Model of a Modern Major General, A Policeman's Lot is Not a Happy One, Poor Wandering One, Hail Poetry, and memorable characters including the Pirate King and Major General Stanley. Will young Frederick escape from his reluctant apprenticeship to the pirate crew and marry the girl he loves? And will the Major General's many daughters escape the clutches of the pirates with the help of the hapless local, local police? Well, you may be um, a GNS aficionado, or this may all be new to you, but I don't know how you can possibly avoid going to Williot's Theatre in Potter's Bar in February. It would be a nice Valentine's Day treat because it's between the 14th and 17th of February and it's being performed by Southgate Opera. Um, if you want to know more, as I'm sure you will, you can go to an evening performance at 7.30 or a Saturday matinee at 2.30. 
and you can phone the box office on 01707-645-005. That's 01707-645-005. And you can also go to the Southgate Opera's website for more information, and it's southgateopera.com. So, happy listening and watching. So, we have reached the end of our program for this week, but stay tuned for a special archive edition from July 18, 1985, that Hass will be reading out just shortly. But for us, thank you for listening. So, from the team of Mary, Sarah, Sarah. Jean, Karis, Karis, and it's goodbye. Oh, Cheerio. Bye-bye. Please remember to turn over the address label on your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position, and return it to us as soon as possible, in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favorite podcast app, or listen to us on your smart speaker, by saying, play podcast, Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget, you can call Diane DeJersey regarding any help you may require in, ten- in connection with the Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899-854-582. Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time, but hang on, because da 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 here's Hass. Hello, this is Hass, and I'm here to introduce a selection of recordings from the Enfield Talking Newspaper archive. A few cassette recordings from the first 50 years of the Talking Newspaper have survived, and once a month you'll hear the local news from the Enfield area as it was from 1974 through to 2011. Today's episode from the archives dates from the 18th of July 1985. This was the year the UK's first mobile phone network was launched, the Live Aid concert raised an estimated £150 million, and the Enfield microphone reports on an Enfield family's adventure sailing around the world. And remember, this was originally recorded on cassette, so ignore any instruction to turn the tape over. Hello and welcome to the 571st edition of the Emperor Microphone, date line 18th July 1985. And your readers on this occasion are... Harvey. Janet. Joe. Me, Alf, and Peter on the controls. Hi, Pete. In this edition, we report on how the council are being asked to spend more than a penny on improving public toilets. Many residents are saying meals on wheels are too expensive. More readings from the history of Bushell Park, latest book list from RNIB, and Janet, who is giving us further receipts from her, uh, sorry, recipes from her collection. Now over to Harvey, you will read the first news item, Harv. The hearts of the people of Enfield have been touched by the efforts of last weekend's Live Aid concert, and they've responded by digging into their pockets to donate money to help the starving of Ethiopia. At banks and building societies across the borough, the money has been pouring in since Monday morning. At Lloyd's Bank in Green Lanes, Palmer's Green, the manager at Roger Clark reported a great response to the call for donations, 
with his branch taking over £1,000 on Monday alone. And at the Abbey National Building Society in Church Street, Enfield, Johnny Anson says the Live Aid Appeal is the most successful ever handled by the Society. I've been pleasantly surprised because we've had other appeals in the past and they've been, to a degree, fairly indifferent. This one is no comparison. It has been highly successful, he said. At the Abbey National Branch in 4th Street, Upper Edmonton, amounts ranging from £1 to £200 have been pouring in. And the story is the same all over the borough. The assistant manager of the Anglia Building Society in Green Lanes, Palmer's Green, Jill Melvin, described the event as tremendous, while the trustee savings bank nearby have called the response enthusiastic. Most of the banks and building societies will continue to take donations for live aid for the next few weeks. the possibility of banning lead as used by fishermen following complaints that they cause injury and death to swans and ducks. The GLC have already banned their use in their ponds and lakes, including Trent Park. At a meeting of the Council's Leisure and Amenities Committee, members were asked if they wanted to review their policy on lead weights. Chairman of the committee, Councillor Clive Goldwater, told members, I think that we ought to be doing something. It is a very serious thing. And if we can save the life of one swan or one duck, that is something we ought to be doing. He added that the good relationship the council has with the Enfield Anglers Council should be used to find out what local fishermen think. The main concern of councillors last week was what they should do if they agreed with the ban. If we agree it, we ought to know how we are going to enforce it, says Councillor Goldwater. This is probably where the Anglers Anglers Council will come in. Members agreed that officers should look into how a ban could be enforced and then report back so the council can make a decision. They also agreed that the Parks Department should investigate claims that a dye used for colouring fishing bait is dangerous. If the claims are accurate, the council may consider banning that also. Proposed service stations on the M25 will put pressure on Greenbelt land around Enfield. That was the warning issued to members of the Enfield Preservation Society at their annual meeting by their chairman, Alan Skilton. He said that 12 months ago, the misuse of Greenbelt land was a subject of much discussion, and today Mr Skilton uh, says the misuse remains a continuing threat. In his report, the chairman made... uh, The chairman reminded members that uh, in the past year the footpaths group held seven working parties and organised 28 guided walks. The trees group have also been busy planting 98 trees with 220 hours being spent looking after 48 planting sites. The society have also conducted uh, 120 people on the annual walk around Enfield Town, published, uh, published local... Uh, historian David Pam's new book and also published a guided walk through Forty Hill and Bull's Cross and two picture postcards. Financially the Society have spent £500 on sponsorship for items as diverse as daffodils for Enfield in bloom to cast iron bollards under under the archway uh, gentleman's row. After the report the election of officers was held, Mr Skilton will remain as chairman. Irene Smith stays as secretary with Priscilla Lowen as treasurer. An Edmonton woman is critically ill in hospital after a serious fire at her tower block home. 
In the early hours of Tuesday morning, police fire crews were called to the 10th floor of Cheshire House, a 20-storey tower block off Montague Road, Upper Edmonton. When they entered the flat, they found Eileen Wells, aged 32, unconscious in the living room. She was taken from the burning flat to a lower floor and given medical aid until she began breathing regularly. She was then taken to North Middlesex Hospital and then transferred to the Billericay Burns Unit, suffering from 35% burns. In the aftermath of the blaze, Enfield Council have said there was no danger to other tenants living on the 10th floor and that the fire was restricted to Miss Wells' flat. Other people living on that floor were not at risk, said Paul Wright, Principal Assistant Housing Officer. Front doors are made so they will resist fire and not allow it to spread, he added. Safety precautions within the Barrows Tower blocks came under review last year and since then all tenants have been told about fire safety and about the actions taken to make sure fires are not a great danger. Mr Wright said about Tuesday's fire that no one had been evacuated from Cheshire House and there was no danger to them. More than 40 residents have cancelled Meals on Wheels and Home Health Services since charges were increased by Enfield Council in March. But the borough's social services department say that the price rise is not solely to blame. 27 residents, mostly elderly or housebound, were no longer using the department's home help service, Enfield Social Services Committee were told on Monday night. A further 20 had requested a reduced service, and 15 residents are no longer buying the 75p per day meals on wheels. Labour opposition social services leader, Councillor Rita Smythe, expressed concern over the cancellation but Vice-Chairman Councillor David Conway said that the figures were very small compared with the number of people using the services. Home help flat rate charges now stand at £2 per week for the 3,750 residents involved, and in March an extra 10 pence charge went on the 5,000 Meals on Wheels delivered each week across the borough. But Labour Councillor Peter Hammond claimed that the figures did not tell the full story. There have been a number of complaints about the service in the east of the borough, but we have not been told by officers exactly how many. It could be five, it could be fifty, he said. For the sake of ten pence, people have had to cancel their meal service, and these are the people in the greatest need, especially in eastern Enfield, where many have had to rely on social security benefits. But Director of Social Services Barry Palmer said that price charges always always cause some murmurings of discontent, some people might not be too keen with the meals, and the extra ten pence charge would be the last straw which causes them to cancel, he explained. Deputy Social Services Director Jeff Prosser said after the meeting that every resident who had requested a cancellation had been visited by a member of his staff to determine if withdrawal would cause them acute hardship. If we feel that it does, then we have an appeal process through the Director of Social Services, which can mean that the charges are reduced, he explained. A Labour councillor has claimed that her mail is being intercepted and on occasions opened and resealed. Councillor Sheila Camp made the claim last Tuesday in the council chamber. Speaking after the meeting, she claimed that post being delivered to her home in Rays Avenue, Upper Edmonton, is being interfered with. I have had stuff go astray both from the Labour Party and CND, of which I am a member. I was particularly angry when I found out that one person had written to me three times and the letters didn't arrive. And another time a letter from CND arrived and the envelope looked as if it had been ripped open, said Councillor Camp. Even some CND Christmas cards she had ordered were opened and resealed. She says the attacks on her mail have been intermittent, first starting around August last year. My main objection is that if it is being done deliberately... It is something that should not be going on. There is no way to prove anything one way or another.
but I do not feel that people who are members of organisations like CND or the Labour Party should have these suspicions, she added. If it is something wrong with the post office, it is just their inefficiency. But I suspect it is not. It is something more than that. A post office spokesman said this week that they were investigating Councillor Camp's claims. The Druce family have battled with sharks, survived near starvation and faced the horrors of tropical diseases and heat exhaustion. They tackled fierce storms, went weeks without seeing other people and were arrested and held prisoner in strange foreign lands. Now back home in Enfield, the biggest problem faced by the family is whether or not they can find jobs. They returned to Enfield less than a fortnight ago after a four-year trip around the world in their yacht gloaming. Now all they have left are their memories and their yacht. Patrick and Sheila Drews sold their house and chain of cake shops to pay for the voyage and are facing the future with the same determination with which they tackled their epic journey. In fact, they are finding it quite a novelty to settle back in what the rest of us think of as a normal life. Finding work is the main priority for Patrick, his two sons, Simon and Julian, and Simon's wife, Sarah. Our aim at the moment is to earn money by whatever means we can. Then we'll look for a proper job, said 24-year-old Simon. Sarah, aged 24, trained as a hairdresser before she went globetrotting and is hoping to pick up the threads of her career. The rest of the family's time is spent meeting old friends again and finding out how things have changed during the four years they have been away. The family hadn't even seen the Palace Garden shopping precinct in Enfield Town before, and Simon got some strange looks when he tried to send a telegram. Although most people would consider it glamorous to sail around the world, the Druses are finding it a luxury to have their feet on the ground once more. I enjoy having hot baths with running water, Sarah said. Washing up with hot water, with washing up liquid as well, Simon said. Other gadgets they are enjoying for the first time are flush toilets, washing machines, irons and hair dryers. Uh, It is even a treat to be able to buy food easily. During one part of their voyage, the family sailed for 62 days without sighting land, while their supplies of food got alarmingly short. Every time we stood up, we were getting dizzy and had to hold on to something. We were getting really weak. Uh, We all lost about two or three stone, uh, remembered Julian. Patrick said, we've been on quarter rations for three weeks. Uh, One day before we got into land, we had uh, just a Christmas pudding between all of us, all day. But as well as the most despairing moments of their voyage, the family have plenty of memories of the good times. Julian particularly remembers the people of Fanning Island, just south of Hawaii. We were invited to a child's first birthday party and were made guests of honour. They had music afterwards with someone playing the guitar and people dancing. It was a fantastic place. Now that they are home and staying at Sheila's mother's home in Cuckoo Hall Lane, Lower Edmonton, the family have decided to give up sailing. They have also, uh, just a bit reluctantly, decided to sell their yacht gloaming. Patrick said none of us have developed a love of sailing. It's a means of getting from one shore to another, but no more. We've done what we wanted to do, and uh, to do it a second time would be an anticlimax. We're quite happy to settle down and earn some money. 
They all want to travel again and revisit some of the friends they have made. Only this time they will go by plane. One of their ports of call will be Australia, where Patrick and Sheila left their daughter Amanda, who married Australian Peter Moffat during the trip. But wherever they travel to, the Druses will always come home again. Their feeling was summed up by Patrick. We haven't found another place where we'd rather live than England. Greyhound racing could be coming to Enfield. The plans are being put forward by Enfield Football Club, who want to hold meetings at their ground in Southby Road. <clears throat> the idea follows the success of a similar venture undertaken by Enfield's Gola League rivals, Maidstone, and it has already received the backing of some of Enfield's councillors. At a meeting of the Council Leisure and Amenities Committee, the possibility of greyhound racing was supported. Councillor Clive Goldwater, the committee chairman, told the meeting that along with other councillors and officials, he had visited the Maidstone set up during a greyhound meeting. As far as we are concerned, what we saw at Maidstone was a well-run, pleasant amenity, which we can find no objection to at all. It may be that the Planning Committee on Planning Grounds might make an objection, but our support is support as the amenity community for the borough. After the meeting, Tommy Unwin, chairman of Enfield Football Club, explained the reasons behind the club's approach. He said that although the club received financial backing through sponsorship and had income from the Starlight Rooms beside the ground, Greyhound Racing would increase their income. We have got to get on our own two feet and we need extra revenue and this is what I would like to do, said Mr Unwin. But he added that the plans are still very much in the early stages. If we do it, we should do it right and it will be somewhere nice for the whole family to go, he said. Mr Unwin is probably the best man for the job of bringing greyhound racing to the borough. He is president of the English Owners and Trainers Association for Greyhounds and he used to raise dogs regularly. Following their visit to Maidstone, members of the Amenities Committee agreed last week to grant landlords consent to the use of Southbury Road ground for race meetings. It must now be considered by the Planning Committee if and when the club submit a planning application. Three young men who took part in an orgy of crime which netted property worth over £32,000 from burglaries at Enfield, Palms Green and Edmonton Houses received lengthy custodial sentences at Woodgreen Crown Court last Friday. Darren Elks, aged 21, of Barclay Road, Edmonton, pleaded guilty to 26 offences of burglary, taking cars and assault. He was jailed for three and a half years and banned from driving for three years. Christopher Ackhurst, aged 19, of Wilbury Way in Edmonton, admitted 14 offences of burglary, taking cars and assault. He received three years' youth custody and was disqualified from driving for a similar period. His brother, Paul Ackhurst, aged 17, of the same address, pleaded guilty to 12 charges, and he was sentenced to two and a half years of youth custody. And their father, Roy Ackhurst, aged 43, was conditionally discharged for two years after admitting one charge of handling stolen carpet. Mr William Thomas, prosecuting, told the court that between last November and the end of March this year, the defendants, to varying degrees, burgled many homes in the area and stolen a wide variety of property, including video recorders, other electrical equipment and silverware and jewellery. The 18 burglaries of private houses were carried out while occupiers were out, and entry was normally gained by smashing a rear window or door. Very few items stolen have been recovered by the police. All the defendants confessed when interviewed by police, and some admitted burglaries which had not even been reported by the victims. They had all been in trouble before, although Napier only had one minor previous conviction. 
In sentencing the defendants, Judge Henry Palmer said that Elks and the two Akers brothers had taken part in an orgy of crime. Restoration work at historic Middleton House is causing quite a splash. The pond in the sprawling grounds of the headquarters of the Lee Valley Regional Park Authority in Bulls Cross Enfield has been refilled. Engineers from the Thames Water Authority pumped 150,000 gallons of water into the dried-out ornamental pond as part of Lee Valley's programme to restore the grounds around the 200-year-old Middleton House to their former glory. We hope to restore the grounds to their original design and refilling the pond is part of the plan, said a spokesman. The public have their chance to enjoy the beauty of Middleton House and its surroundings this Sunday when the park opens their gates at 2pm. This week's ban on heavy lorries has come under attack from one of Enfield's biggest employers, Thorn EMI, who have factories scattered around Enfield. Say the ban on nighttime and weekend factories in London will mean more congestion during the day. Dennis Hutchings is the transport advisor with the Thorn EMI, as well as the president of the Freight Transport Association. And this week he criticised the High Court judgment which allows the Greater London Council to put their ban into operation. It will force nighttime traffic onto the roads during the day, right smack into the rush hour, he said. And Mr Hutchings has also hit out at the date set for the start of the ban, mid-December. This is the peak period for many businesses, just before Christmas, he said. He claims that a ban on heavy lorries could also threaten jobs, not just in Enfield but throughout London. The ban is on large lorries over 16.5 tonnes, so companies would have to use smaller vehicles if they wanted to get into London during the night and at weekends. If you do not let heavy lorries come into London to keep factories going, you have got to take in lots of smaller lorries which will need a lot more space. burn a lot more fuel and produce a lot more pollution, he said. Nicholas Ridley, the Minister for Transport, who lost the High Court case this week, must now decide whether or not to appeal against the decision. Meanwhile, the ban will take effect in December, which means heavy lorries cannot travel within the 300 square miles marked out by the GLC, between 9pm and 7am weekdays and from 1pm on Saturdays uh, to 7am on Mondays. Thorny MI will come within the ban because they have factories in the Great Cambridge Road, Lincoln Road and depots and factories in other parts of the borough. An Edmonton woman died instantly when she was struck by a train. Carol Francis, aged 45, of Barrowfield Closeday, Edmonton, was on the pedestrian level crossing at Peganoid Road up Edmonton last Thursday afternoon. She was struck by a train driven by James Thompson from Ilford, which was travelling north from Angel Road Station, Edmonton. Ambulance men attended the scene, but the woman had died instantly. An inquest into her death was opened and adjourned at Hornsey Coroner's Court on Tuesday morning. The planned shutdown of Edmonton Bus Garage has been attacked by Edmonton Labour Party. At a meeting of the party's General Council, a motion condemning the plan was agreed. They claim that moving services to Ponder's End Garage in Southbury Road was just transferring the alleged environmental problems from Tranway Avenue to Ponder's End. They also claim that the move would create more traffic hazards in an already congested area. The party sees this not only as a threat to jobs, but as part of London Regional Transport's programme of cuts in services and the ultimate privatisation of transport in the Greater London area. 
Labour's recently elected prospective parliamentary candidate, Brian Greyston, will be meeting with the unions from Tramway Avenue to discuss opposition to the closure, the meeting was told. The amalgamation of pairs of junior and infant schools across the borough could be finalised by September 1986. Already consultation meetings with parents and council officers have started and early indications are that the plans are accepted in principle by parents. Enfield Council decided to try to amalgamate sets of junior and infant schools to form single units and a large number of early retirements among head teachers mean this is possible. But first, they must consult parents and staff. This process started when officers met with around 70 people concerned with Lavender Infants and Junior Schools in Enfield. Kim Riley, the Principal Administrative Officer for Schools, said after the meeting that the reaction was reasonably favourable. The parents have, by and large, been responsive to the idea of amalgamation, he said. Their main concern is what will happen during implementation of the scheme. The present head teacher of the junior school is retiring this year, which would leave the school without a permanent head for one year. Mr Riley said the council would not allow that to happen. An acting head would be appointed to caretake for a year. Consultation with all the parents of the schools across the borough is due to finish in July. Then the council will make a final decision to go ahead with the scheme. Any minor building works which will have to be carried out will then be worked on in time for September 1986. Homeless teenagers will have a hope of finding a place to live. Um, Enfield uh, Council's Housing Committee were due to consider on Tuesday whether to change their policies towards housing young people. The new move is a direct result of the Department of Health and Social Security's new rules for paying the board and lodgings of people on supplementary benefit. At present, single people under 21 are not usually considered for housing by the council. Not if the person is young, fit and well and capable of looking for their own accommodation. The law doesn't say we have a responsibility for them, said Jim Farrell, Enfield's Director of Housing. But since April, unemployed people under 26 who are living in the borough have been allowed to claim only board and lodging payments for up to six weeks. After that, they have to move out of London. This has led to criticisms that youngsters are being made homeless and forced to sleep rough. On Tuesday, the Housing Committee were due to consider four proposals for dealing with the situation. These included reviewing the Council's policies towards housing homeless teenagers. Enfield Social Democrats have labelled the Council's Community Relations Programme as inadequate and unsuitable. The party's Vice-Chairman Bob Fitzgerald said that the Council ignore the fact that 22% of the population of Enfield are overseas origin. Its community evaluations and relations set up as one of the smallest and most understated in London. Mr Fitzgerald added that the SDP would continue to strive for community harmony by supporting ethnic minority, monitoring of housing allocation and improved facilities for teaching of residents by the towns. And uh, with that item, we've come to the halfway stage in our programme, so if you would like to stop your machine and turn the cassette over, we'll meet you again on the other side.
Here we are again on side two, and we begin with an item by Janet. Over to you, Janet, then. Well, as you all know, on Saturday the 13th of July, we had a store in Enfield Market to raise funds for the news tape. The sale of goods and donations received at the stall amounted to just under £80. We give our thanks to those of you who visited the stall or gave us articles to sell. Also, as you know, we have Harvey with us tonight, and I'm sure you will all join with us in congratulating him on becoming third in the National Scrabble Championships. Congratulations, Harvey. And now, two more recipes using the new way method of baking that we told you about a few editions ago. The first one is for new way flapjacks. For this, you'll need half a packet of stalk margarine, half a pot of golden syrup, half a pot of soft brown sugar, and three pots of rolled porridge oats. You may remember that these were yoghurt pots that we, um, they now use as their measuring guide. Firstly, set your oven to 180 degrees centigrade, 350 degrees Fahrenheit, or gas mark 4. Now, melt the stalk, syrup and sugar together in a saucepan, and then stir in the rolled oats and mix thoroughly together. Grease a square 20 centimetre or 8 inch shallow tin, and then spread the mixture evenly into the tin. Bake in the oven for 25 to 30 minutes. When ready, cut into 16 pieces and leave it to cool in the tin. Now the second one, bearing in mind how we're all told to have wholemeal bread and wholemeal flour, this is for wholemeal pizza. For the scone base, you need an eighth of a packet of stalk margarine, one pot of wholemeal flour, one teaspoonful of baking powder, one pot of finely chopped onion, two pots of finely grated cheddar cheese, Salt, a generous pinch of mixed herbs, one egg, and two tablespoons of milk. For the topping, you want four sliced tomatoes, three pots of washed and sliced mushrooms, a generous pinch of basil, a pot of coarsely grated cheddar cheese, a few strips of bacon, and green or black olives stoned and halved. You set your oven at 200 degrees degrees, 400 degrees Fahrenheit or gas number 6. You place all the ingredients for the scone base in a mixing bowl and mix to a firm dough with a wooden spoon. Turn onto a lightly floured board and knead lightly. Shape into a flat round, 20 to 23 centimetres, 8 to 9 inches in diameter and place on a greased baking sheet. You arrange the sliced tomatoes and mushrooms on the top Sprinkle with herbs and cheese and decorate with a lattice of bacon. Place olives in between lattice and bake for 20 to 25 minutes and serve hot. This should serve too. Now, after everybody trying to make me laugh while I was reading that, I now hand over to Joe. And here we have another extract from the history of Bushill Park written by Geo Sturgis for the Enfield 100 Historicals... Um, Society's magazine. A feature of Bush Hill Park in the early part of this century was the sharp social distinction between areas lying either side of the railway line. The phrase the other side of the line was commonly used, particularly by those who lived on the western side, the inhabitants of which always referred to it as the right side of the line. 
This side had been well planned and laid out in the latter half of the 19th century and had wide, pleasant tree-lined roads. Many of the houses were large and stood in spacious gardens. They were mainly occupied by the richer professional classes. Mr. Morrow always looked very distinguished in his well-brushed top hat and close-fitting frock coat. Rich city merchants and industrialists and wealthy shopkeepers of large firms such as Maynard, the confectioner, Nicholson, the draper of St. Paul's Churchyard and Slingsby, the truck and uh, ladder maker of Kingsway, London. To the east of the line, the houses were generally smaller, mainly terraced, some around John Street being let for as little as two and sixpence, two and a half p per week. Even the church going of the district reflected uh, the social division. The more wealthy folk of the uh, western side mainly attending St. Stephen's Church uh, or a nonconformist church at Enfield whilst folk on the eastern side tended to go to St. Mark's Church, the Congregational Church or the Salvation Army. There was a small Methodist church in Wellington Road, but this was poorly attended. Uh, my mother, who was slightly snobbish, uh, in a very kindly way, used to declare that even the air was different on the other side of the line. You can smell the difference, she said, as soon as you cross the railway bridge. But this was scarcely to be wondered at, since the Bush Hill Park Hotel uh, then had a small urinal which opened directly on the footpath halfway down the western side of the bridge. Parliamentary reflections then seemed far more exciting than those of today, for politics were taken very seriously locally in the early part of this century. My father was an ardent liberal, whilst our neighbours... Uh, were just as keenly conservative and at election times this led to bill posting to a bill posting competition between us and certain frigidity on our in our exchange of greetings was also noticeable i very happily spent my spare time putting election pamphlets on behalf of mr branch the liberal candidate through the letter boxes uh, of the neighborhood and on the way home from school, many of us would march through the streets singing uh, to the tune of Tramp, 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 the boys are marching. Vote, vote, vote for Branchy. Chuck old Newman out of doors. For Branchy is the man, and we'll have him if we can, and we won't vote for Newman any more. I'm glad to record that this, my early venture into politics, uh, entirely, that, that it was entirely successful, for Mr. Branch won the election. Politics uh, then were very much more influenced by religion, the nonconformists tending to support the Liberals and Infant Labour Party, whilst Church of England members were in favour of the Conservatives. Uh, motors were rarely seen in Bush Hill Park then, when I was a boy, and these vehicles were still in, the, in their infancy. Occasionally for a treat on bank holidays, holidays, my father would hire a pony and trap and we would drive to Epping Forest for a picnic. Most of the deliveries uh, to and from shops were made by horse and cart uh, in the case of heavy loads, such as sacks of flowers, uh, trailers drawn behind steam engines. 
The drivers, drivers of these engines used to replenish their water supply by sucking it up through a large flexible tube uh, from the Saddler's mill stream. Beer was delivered to the Bush Hill Park Hotel by a brewer's dray drawn by two massive Shah horses. The boys loved to hang on the back of the cart and get carried along some distance before dropping off again. But other boys usually tried to spoil our fun by yelling to the driver, whip, whip, whip behind governor. The houses naturally dropped a supply of manure. What's this? Uh, the horses naturally dropped a plentiful supply of manure, but um, uh, about the streets and my father, who was a keen gardener, used to ask me to gather this, either in a pail or in a barrow, uh, which he made from a Tate's sugar box. I always felt conscious, self-conscious about doing this task and was only encouraged to do so by the small monetary reward of a halfpenny or a penny when I returned with a full barrow. One boy uh, called at a house uh, and asked threepence instead of the usual penny for a pail of manure, saying the price had risen as I've broken my shovel and this pailful is all hand-picked. <laughs> now, now over for the next news item. Thank you very much, Joe. What's on uh, this week is a bit uh, short because the GPO apparently haven't supplied us uh, further news uh, from the Central Library, but on Thursday, the 25th of July, Musical All Sorts is on the recital menu tonight at this week's gathering of the Edmonton Gramophone Society. The evening starts at 7.30pm. The venue, as usual, is the Salisbury House Arts Centre, and you can get details on telephone 01 360 8596. On Friday the 26th of July, direct from BBC's Hot Gospel Show, the London Community Gospel Choir joins Norman Mitchell in presenting The Other Side, featuring the vocal score from Porgy and Bess. Performances tonight and tomorrow evening begin at 8pm and are staged at the Intimate Theatre N13. Tickets available from the box office on 01 886 5451 or 2. On Saturday, the open weekend at Capel Manor features the Consumer Association's Witch Garden Launch and the annual Enfield Future Society Show. The gardens open from 2 to 6pm. Admission is £1.25 with free car parking. Inquiries on Lee Valley, 763849. Music from stage and screen will fill the air at Kenwood tonight. Broad selection from Strauss to Mancini ballet to Star Wars and will be featured in the concert which starts 8. For further information contact GLC Department for Recreation and the Arts on 01-633-1707. Finally, on Sunday the 28th there's an action-packed afternoon promised by the Rotaract Club in its grand charity fate at Broomfield Park this afternoon from 12 to 5.30pm. Special attractions include Paws and Claws dog display team aerobatic display, core of drums and many sideshows. The fate is in aid of the North Middlesex Hospital and you can make inquiries there on 01 360 2562. Now back to the news. The man who helped to make White Webb's Park one of the borough's most attractive features has died at the age of 97. Abraham Henry Andrews spent most of his life working in gardening and meeting the famous horticulturalist August Bowles at Middleton House as a boy helped him, 
helped set him on the path which he followed for most of his working life. Mr Andrews was born in Medcalf Road, Enfield Lock, as one of 13 children. Later he joined the Royal Army Medical Corps as a short-term regular soldier. It was while he was a reserve that he met and married Lily Turner. They lived in St Albans, where he worked as a gardener, before Mr Andrews was recalled to army service at the outbreak of the war in 1914. In the early 1920s, after he left the army, he tried setting up as a nurseryman near South Mims, but a coal strike stopped his boilers and he lost his crop. He then returned to Enfield, where he worked with the Parks Department of what was then the Enfield Urban District Council. He worked with the council until he retired, having a hand in the development of nearly all of the borough's parks. For 20 years, he was head keeper at Whitewebs, and with his family, he lived in the old Riverside Cottage in the park, which has since been demolished. He and his wife retired to Hastings in 1953, but returned to Enfield 12 years later. They lived in St George's Road in Forty Hill. After Mrs Andrews' death in 1976, he stayed on there until last year. He then moved to Bridge House in Forty Hill, where he stayed until his death. He leaves five, he leaves five sons, 16 grandchildren and many great-grandchildren. And now we come to the latest titles to be introduced into the Talking Book Library. Here are some of the latest titles added to the RNIB Talking Book Library. Youth, Heart of Darkness and The End of the Tether by Joseph Conrad. Catalogue number 5404. Read by Alistair Maiden. Three of Conrad's most well-known stories. That's catalogue number 5404. Pomp and Circumstance by Noel Coward. Catalogue number 5397 read by Rosemary Davis. The setting is the fictitious island of Samolo in the South Pacific. A royal visit is imminent, and the domestic complications this causes to the colonial set have hilarious results. That's catalogue number 5397. Diana, by R.F. Delderfield, catalogue number 5377, read by Hugh Ross. Youth for Romance and Adult Passion Between the World Wars. That's catalogue number 5377. Deborah, by Esther Kreitman, catalogue number 5393, read by Elizabeth de Silva. Deborah is the daughter of a feckless, unworldly rabbi. She is 14 years old, sensitive, intelligent and romantic. But the two things she longs for are denied, education and marriage to the man of her choice. That's catalogue number 5393. The Naive and Sentimental Lover by John Le Carre. Catalogue number 5403, read by Robert Gladwell. While touring Somerset, Aldo Cassidy meets a charming, if wayward, couple. He falls in love with them both and is swept into a world where feeling is the only justification for action. That's catalogue number 5403. The Eliza Stories by Barry Payne, catalogue number 5387, read by Simon Cody. This book contains all five volumes of the stories about Eliza and her dreadful husband. Their progress through the little events of life is charted with exquisite exactitude by Eliza's foolish and gullible husband. That's catalogue number 5387. Sleep It Off, Lady, by Jean Rees. Catalogue number 5402, read by Vivian Krieger. A collection of 16 stories beginning and ending in Dominica, the West Indian island where Jean Rees was born. That's catalogue number 
5402. Those were some of the latest titles added to the Talking Book Library. If you want any of these, please add them to your next selection list. A new £3 million development for the elderly could be on the way. The initial go-ahead to build a joint residential care and sheltered flat centre covering one and a half acres at Barrowell Green in Winchmore Hill was given by Enfield Social Services Committee last Monday. The development would include 26 individual sheltered flats and four residential homes, each housing nine residents. The Barrowell Green development is seen as being a replacement for the borough's Parkfield House home for the elderly in Hadley Wood, which has been operating below capacity. A joint report from the Housing and Social Services Department stated that the next 11 years would see a considerable increase in the uh, borough's elderly population. Many of them would be requiring residential or sheltered care not presently available in the borough. The report added that the development would be very much part of the local community. It was important that homes for the elderly were not seen as institutions. A communal lounge built with, within the development for residents would also provide a daycare service and luncheon club for elderly local people in the area. The initial blueprint for the Barrowell development includes plans to add a separate unit to cater for a small number of mentally ill senior citizens. Residents' leaders are to urge the council to spend more money on renovating public toilets. The Federation of Enfield Residents and Allied Associations were reacting to Enfield Council's decision to demolish the toilets at the junction of North Circular Road and Green Lanes, Palmer's Green. Secretary Sidney Hill said there must be provision for proper toilets at the Triangle in Palmer's Green and some sort of facility at the North Circular Road. Other members suggested that the council should provide portable toilets at more sites around the borough. The members decided to write to the council urging them to provide more facilities in Enfield. Here are some interesting words from the MP for Edmonton, Ian Twin, following a recent visit that he made to the Docklands. There will soon be an airport just six miles from the Bank of England and not many more miles from Edmonton, with flights to Europe and our provincial towns. What's more, there is every chance it will be working in a couple of years. With all the fuss about Stansted and the expansion at Heathrow, this novel idea comes as news to most people. Where can it be? The answer is just down the Lee Valley, in the middle of Docklands. The government have given the go-ahead to clear the old sheds from the Royal Docks to make way for a runway for short take-off planes. It means that the specially developed quiet planes will be able to nip in and out of London without passengers having to struggle to the main airports. In some ways, the visit made me sad, standing in an eerie silence so close to the centre of London. I couldn't help but remember that just a few years ago this was a hive of noise, activity and jobs. The unions and strike after strike killed all that, but now the new airport being built by Molem will bring back jobs to the East End. Despite some genuine concern, the idea has been warmly welcomed locally. The visit for me also had its funny side, as we were driving out of the site, a police car stopped us. They wanted to know what we were doing. Unluckily, they believed my story that I was a member of Parliament looking in at an airport. In return, the policeman said that they were keeping an eye out for thieves and didn't want to be seen. How could anybody miss a white rover with orange markings and a blue light on top? It's quite beyond me. Perhaps they were plainclothes policemen in disguise. <laughs> John Ruhr 
Melbourne, Head of PE at Chase Boys School and Enfield's Physical Recreation Officer Terry Williamson are he heading a call for a paid athletics director in the borough. It was the successful visit of Olympic javelin star Roald Bradstock to the Churchbury Lane School last Thursday which highlighted the general lack of encouragement given to the sport in Enfield and this appointment could prevent the drain of young talent to neighbouring Haringey Athletic Club. The direct cause for Enfield Athletics lacking behind Haringey is the lack of financial support from the council, said Rowan. There are few paid coaches and youngsters of potential can easily transfer to Haringey when they realise they'll get better encouragement there. At the moment, there is nobody in Enfield responsible for sports development. A director could liaise between school, club and recreation department. And perhaps in time, Enfield could begin to challenge Haringey both in performance and facilities. Bradstock's one-off coaching clinic last week adds fuel for a similar venture involving Enfield's top young talent on a regular basis. Apart from showing the borough's best boys and girls how to improve their javelin technique, Bradstock, Britain's number one who competes for Enfield Harriers, also demonstrated the conditioning work with weights and medicine balls, which forms a vital part of his routine. He finished by speaking at length to the school's throwers and his progress since the 84 Olympics, where he finished 7th, could see him in the hunt for medals at Seoul. Add to this his regular television appearances and you can see that Bradstock, who has to cycle 10 miles every day to train, could prove his worth to sponsor. Those interested should get in touch with Ray Gibbons on 01804 6907 or John Ruan on 01366 7575. A computer worth over £1,000 has been stolen from the borough's new centre for the unemployed. The theft was described as sickening by centre organiser George Prow. He said that thieves broke into the centre at Ponders End Methodist Church in the High Street last Monday night. The computer had been installed for only about a month and was being used to teach the unemployed about new technology to help them in their search for work. It is just sickening that people rob the unemployed who are at a disadvantage anyway. When people try to help them, others take advantage, said Mr Prowl. Although the computer is insured, it will take some time before a replacement is bought. Meanwhile, the CUE uh, are taking extra precautions to stop any further break-ins, and they are offering a reward to anyone who can help them trace their computer. Teachers are beginning to dig in as the likelihood increases that the pay battle will drag on into the autumn. The National Association of Schoolmasters and Union of Women Teachers announced on Sunday that local education authorities will be subject to selective strike action from October. And an Enfield spokesman for the union claimed that the borough could well be the target of strike action. The union has now stopped the pinpoint strike action which meant withdrawing teachers at 24 hours notice but they are continuing to withdraw cover for absent teachers and supervised lunchtimes. Jim Gascoigne, press officer of the Enfield branch of the NASUWT, said that future strike action would probably be imposed in areas where it already has had a telling effect. Every time we withdraw a teacher from classes we estimate 74 children were affected that is above average, and there is the chance that teachers in Enfield could be told to take action, he said. This week, teachers' unions and local authorities were again meeting to discuss pay. 
Education Minister Sir Keith Joseph has told teachers that there is extra money available if they agree on new conditions of service. Enfield Education Committee Chairman Councillor Alan Amos claimed that such a move would lead to greatly improved pay for teachers. Most teachers are hard-working and this would lead to greater rewards for hard work and merit, he explained. He added that the morale of the teaching profession and pupils was suffering due to the continued series of annual pay battles. But Jim Gascoigne said, We do not mind a review of conditions as long as we get paid properly now for the work we are doing now. Sir Keith says that there can be no special cases, but in the past the Tories have made special cases for pay of the armed forces and the police. He added that the NASUW team members were being advised not to arrange out-of-school hour day trips for the new autumn term. And with that last item, we conclude our programme for this edition, so it's goodbye from... Harvey, Janet, Joe, and me, Alf, and Peter on the controls. Thanks, Pete. See you again in a fortnight's time. Cheerio. Cheerio, good night. Mm-hmm.